In this episode of Let's Talk Trade, we shift our attention to cocoa, the single most important export crop in Côte d'Ivoire and Ghana, and the main ingredient in our beloved chocolate. Joining us for this episode, we have Asata Dumbia, a cocoa producer from the Mayagui region in the southwest of Côte d'Ivoire. She's the president of the cocoa cooperative ECAM, agriculture cooperative enterprise of Mayagui, and founder of the cocoa and cocoa-derived product company La Paysanne. Joining Asata and to offer a WTO perspective to the discussion, we have Kobe Bando of the Agriculture and Commodity Division here at the WTO. So let's talk trade. Asata and Kobe, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing good. Before we get into the discussion, I would like you to introduce yourselves. Asata, can you tell us about yourself and how you got involved in cocoa agriculture? Hello, everyone. Thank you for inviting me here today. I'm a cocoa and rubber farmer. I started with cocoa when I was very young with my parents who grew cocoa here. We have created a cooperative in the Miyagi region called ICAM, of which I am the president. So, Sato, what happened in between your childhood and the presidency of the cooperative? When I went to school, it was my uncle who paid for our studies and worked with us in the fields when we were on holiday. And when he died, I inherited the fields because nobody in my family wanted to work in cocoa farming. Because it's very hard work and doesn't pay. The cost of production was higher than the money we earned. I asked them to help me buy the fields. And as nobody wanted it, they gave me the fields. I had a vision of tidying up the fields. And thank God, that's what happened. Today I can produce between 3 and 15 tons of cocoa a year. Very interesting start to uh, cocoa, Asata. Kobe, now over to you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in agriculture as an area of trade in cocoa specifically? Well, my name is Kobe Bando, and I hold the position of an economic affairs officer here in the WTO in the Agriculture and Commodities Division. My connection to cocoa as a commodity comes quite naturally, as I hail from Ghana, a neighboring country to Côte d'Ivoire, and together we produce 60% of the world's uh, cocoa. Moreover, my early experiences in agriculture evolved my father's cocoa farm, where we nurtured the cocoa seedlings during my childhood. Interesting story, both uh, Kobe and Asata, because I myself have a background in agriculture with my parents doing some farming themselves. And I have, I guess, special interest in cocoa as I did some research in cocoa myself. So today, I guess we have a sort of a cocoa summit. It should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's it. The children of cocoa farming. So Asata, can you explain for us what a cocoa cooperative is and how Ecam Cooperative supports its farmers? First of all, to create a cooperative, you have to have a problem. That's what we had. I came to take over my uncle's plantation and we produced good cocoa. But unfortunately, we were selling our cocoa to intermediaries who set the price and sold our cocoa in the port in San Pedro or Abidjan. We realized that the buyers were paying much less for the cocoa than it was worth, and all they did was travel to San Pedro, which is just 70 kilometers from Miyagi. 
So we thought we should get together and go sell our cocoa at the port ourselves. I forgot to mention that I went to school and had a degree in international commercial engineering. So I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to lead discussions with exporters, how to look for loans and credit from the bank, and how to get support from the state so that the cooperative was properly set up. We started with 89 producers and today we have 3,000. We put our volumes together to sell the cocoa. We got the price set by the state. That's one thing. Then, to be able to treat our fields, we put our money together and bought fertilizer at a very attractive price, which we then distributed to the farmers. We also look for good partners like Fairtrade, like Rainforest Alliance, to get certification and be connected to chocolate makers who support us in our sustainability program. Our European partners really support us in terms of the quality of the cocoa we make. Tony's Chocolate Only is a partner from the Netherlands who supports us in everything we do. We also work with Ferrero. They focus on quality and make sure we are not using the wrong phytosanitary products to treat the plant. Today, our producers have very attractive premiums and everyone supports us. It's like a family. Excellent. Uh, Asaj, I think you touched into much of what I wanted to get in. For example, the low prices that cocoa farmers receive and the fact that poverty is a major challenge within the cocoa sector more broadly. Can you tell us, besides this, is there any other fundamental challenge for farmers within the cocoa sector? There are currently a lot of different challenges in the cocoa industry. First of all, I'd mentioned decent income. I told you earlier that when my uncle died, there was no one to take over the fields because being a cocoa producer today means you can't feed your family and live decently. The second challenge is climate change and the diseases that are attacking our plantations. We have a disease today that is wreaking havoc and is really devastating our fields. And there is no treatment. We absolutely have to cut down the cocoa trees. Thank you so much, Asata. These are all very important points. I want to turn to our expert in house, Kobi. Can you shed some light on this? Is this the situation only for farmers in Côte d'Ivoire or is this applicable more broadly to farmers in cocoa agriculture elsewhere? It actually felt like Asata was talking about Ghana, you know, <laughs> because uh, in Ghana, we are currently grappling with environmental challenges that have severe implications for the cocoa industry. Cocoa sector is the bread and butter for millions of people in Africa. Unfortunately, majority of these people are smallholder farmers who live in rural communities. And you have to know that um, in these communities, the poverty levels and social marginalization are already high. West Africa, for instance, produces about 75% of the world's cocoa beans that go into making chocolate. Yet, one-fifth of cocoa farmers in the region don't even have a living income. What do you mean by a living income? We're talking here about a sufficient income to afford a decent standard of living for all household members. You're talking about nutritious diet, clean water, decent housing education. There was a survey carried out in 2019 which revealed that Ghanaian and Ivorian cocoa farmers just make $1.42 and $1.23 net per person per day, respectively. 
And if you see these figures, it, it goes a long way to underscore the fact that most cocoa farmers live below the World Bank poverty line, which is $2.15 a day. As I mentioned about the government setting the price for cocoa, would you mind sharing a bit more on that? Actually, what uh, Asata is talking about is what we term in the WTO as minimum support price. And this is basically the government fixing the price of cocoa. All cocoa beans must uh, be be purchased at the fixed price without room for negotiation. And they, they do that to shield the farmers from bargaining uh, power issues. So can export be the solution? Yes or no? It could be yes, it could be no. On the export of cocoa, cocoa farmers don't determine the price of cocoa beans and the market can be very volatile. So in Ghana, for instance, when you talk about the cocoa value chain, you're looking at a base of around 800,000 cocoa farmers, most of whom have, let's say, two to five hectares of land planted with cocoa. Now, because prices paid to farmers are quite low in Ghana, most farmers are not able to afford fertilizers, pesticides, and, you know, uh, equipment needed to increase yields. In addition, you have many cocoa trees on small-scale farms, which are long past the 20-year mark for peak productivity. And so what that means is their harvest continues to decline. African exporters have to look into working with sustainability labels. Uh, an example is fair trade. All in order to be able to obtain certification, some of them do pay the premium, which is more than the funded uh, prices set by cocoa boss in their respective countries. The other thing they would do is to make sure that their produce are in conformity with international norms and standards. Are there any other challenges that farmers in the sector face? One pressing issue is illegal mining, which does not only pose a threat to the environment, but also affects uh, existing cocoa farms and potential cocoa cultivation sites. The allure of lucrative mining activities entices some cocoa farmers to surrender their land. And um, this often leads to unregulated mining practices that um, release harmful chemicals into the soil. And uh, when this goes unchecked, the mining activity would obviously pose a risk to thriving cocoa farms and uh, potentially lead to a significant decrease in cocoa production in Ghana. So what can we just mention is the allure of illegal gold mining in Ghana, which is very destructive to the environment. I'd like to also talk about our climate change, which is a looming challenge and has far-reaching impacts on uh, farmers' ability to plant agricultural activities effectively. There are now erratic weather patterns and farmers uh, want to plant too early, anticipating rains that do not arrive on time. Others also want to plant late and they miss out on essential moisture. When that happens, the survival of the cocoa seedlings becomes a bit challenging and um, optimizing land productivity becomes increasingly difficult. Thank you so much, Kobe. Over to you, Asata. For the challenges that you've mentioned, are these equally felt by men and women in the sector or is there a gender disparity in terms of challenges faced? As a producer, it's true that I face the same challenges as the men. But as a woman, it's not always easy to go work in the cocoa plantation or in the bush. I have to be accompanied by a man. In our region, in Miyagi, several women have been raped and even killed because they had left their settlement to go to the fields. We raised awareness that women can also own portions of the land like men so that the men give a portion of the land to their wives. 
But the fact is that once women have their own fields, their husbands stop investing in the family, and it is the woman who's going to provide the food. She's the one who sends the children to school. It's really hard for women. At the cooperative, we have a policy to help these women, not only with their work, but also to purchase fertilizer. We set up an association called AVEC, so that we can look at the problem together and help. The challenges are similar in some ways, but at some point, the challenges for women are greater than for men. So that's a very interesting insight. So shedding some light on the challenges that are specific to women. I know you yourself have formed the company La Pezanne. I'm not sure how much of this has to do with the challenges that women specifically face, but can you tell us about La Pezanne? Why was it founded? And also, it would be important if you could share the connection between La Pezanne and the ECAM cooperative. La Pezanne was created with the objective to meet women's needs. Our products at La Pezanne are sold made from cocoa solids and cocoa butter. We also make creams and we make chocolate from our cocoa. When we talk about Le Paysan, we're talking about semi-processing. We don't want to continue just selling our cocoa beans. We want to process and transform. This transformation is done by the women who live in the Miyagi area. They come and roast the cocoa beans until the cocoa butter comes out and they make soap. They provide our workforce and they earn a bit of money so they can go and help the men or send their children to school or feed themselves. So we're always thinking about the women. And the word paysan means rural woman in French. It's really to honor the women. Thank you so much, Asata. That is excellent. So I feel like uh, ECAM, uh, La Pezanne, is pretty much an answer to a problem. That's just brilliant. I wanted to know, is La Pezanne in export? Are, are you exporting those products that have been uh, transformed? That's our vision, to send these products to the European market or the African market, even everywhere in the world. But unfortunately, that's not what we are doing today. We started selling here in the Miyagi region, and we intend to sell them in Abidjan. From time to time, when there are exhibitions in the interior of the country, whether in San Pedro or Yamosukro, we go to the exhibitions to sell our products. But we're not competitive enough. The demand is there. We're always being asked to sell, and there's not enough of it. We don't have our own shop, and overall the production is small-scale because it's all done by hand. So we're really in a small market at the moment. We could go on and on. The discussion has been really informative and engaging, but we have to wrap up. What is the best part about operating a cooperative that is involved in cocoa trade, and what would be your advice to farmers in cocoa production? The best way of looking at how a cooperative is run is to take a slightly broader view. When you have a common vision, it can work. You need transparency in the management of a cooperative. You also need innovation, because in today's world, you can't just rely on cocoa. I don't think that's working when it comes to cooperatives. We need to bring innovation and technology. 
You have to get the producers to respect the commitments of the partners who pay for our cocoa. And get these partners to invest in the producers who will ultimately respect their commitments. So the cooperative has to be resilient to all of the challenges and above all, the aspirations of our partners. Producers ask me why they should continue cocoa farming when they're constantly disappointed, make commitments and can't keep them. It's about hope. In Africa, it's hope that keeps us going because we know exactly where we've come from and where we want to go. There are always obstacles that you have to overcome. Thank you so much, Asato. Big picture, partnership, hope. I admire your passion for your work. And with leadership like yours, we can only expect that the cocoa business will only continue to thrive in Côte d'Ivoire. Kobi, over to you. What is the most exciting part about your job in the agriculture division at the WTO? Personally, the exciting part of my work has been about the exchange of knowledge and ideas across trade policies. Knowing that the work I do sheds light on global food security situation, and I would say also helps policymakers make amends, brings me a lot of fulfillment. And I always tell myself, if the world security situation gets better, I can boldly say the work I do behind my small computer finally paid off. And what a beautiful way to wrap up. And that is the end of our show. Thank you so much, uh, Kobe and Asato. We really enjoyed the discussion and we hope we could do this sometime again soon. So this was our Cocoa Summit episode and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You heard it from Asato. The impulse to improve things drives action. It requires tackling a problem head-on, whilst at the same time maintaining a big-picture view of possible solutions. That's how she started the Ecamm Cooperative, increasing bargaining power, investing in productivity, and including women. Work is better when done together. And let's not forget, it helps if you can count on international partners who are willing to pay a premium. In the next episode, you'll hear about a very unique obstacle to trade, cognitive bias. Imagine you're from a country that has an important stake in serving the digital economy, yet potential clients are not aware and choose instead to rave about your beaches, coffees, and pineapples. We will bring you a business case study from Costa Rica, where entrepreneur Alban Sanchez set out to gain a foothold in the North American IT market and was met by this precise challenge. How did you overcome it? And where is the business today? Stay tuned to Let's Talk Trade to find out more.